So I begin every interview with a throwaway question. I ask the person what they had for breakfast. Now, I don't care what they have for breakfast. I just want them to say something so that I know that my equipment is working correctly. Tom Hanchett saw this as an opportunity to be funny. And what did I have for breakfast? I went to, um, uh, there's a Scottish restaurant down the street called McDonald's. Had a sausage burrito. <laughs> a Scottish restaurant down the street called McDonald's. I think it's Scottish. With a name like that, it's got to be Scottish. Tom is the historian at the Levine Museum of the New South in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, besides that being a smart-ass, sarcastic response, it actually pointed us in the direction I wanted to go for our conversation. I was curious about the, quote, New South. And so I asked Tom to meet me at a place he thought was representative of how the South is evolving. It ended up being this Honduran-slash-Salvadoran-slash-Mexican restaurant in East Charlotte. me out somewhere so that we could kind of talk about the um, the changing South, like what is, what's happening in the South, how the South is changing, especially with regards to the city of Charlotte, and uh, and where did you, where did you take us? Where are we right now? We're at El Porcorcito, there are blue Naugahyde booths, the um, uh, Latino um, soap operas are playing on the television, there is a Touchtone digital duke jukebox behind you, where there uh, you can play uh, banda Sinaloa music with the tubas and the trombones, and um, folks are um, well. We're drinking um, uh, fresa con leche, which is uh, like a thin milkshake with lots of fresh strawberries in it, and uh, having a having a good time. The neon is buzzing. And, it's the middle of the afternoon, but there are families here. There are people getting off work who are here. It's it's like the Cheers place, except there's uh, it's it's a diner and people are speaking Spanish. Now, how did you first find this place? I live in this part of town. This is East Charlotte. We're on Central Avenue. Uh, folks in Charlotte would call this the the International Corridor, uh, except it's not. There is every kind of person you can imagine here, but. Uh, Largest number are native-born white Americans, second largest number are native-born black Americans, and then people from all over the world. And increasingly, this is what Charlotte looks like in particular areas. Increasingly, it's, it's what our cities in the United States look like, and it is what the United States itself is going to look like. So, uh, bon appetit. <laughs> This is the New South. Is there a New South? I know that that term is one that, that we've talked about for the last 30-plus years. It may even be older. Is that is that term, where did that term The last 150 years. 150, I was way off. The folks started talking about a New South right after the Civil War. Uh, 
Uh, there was a guy in Charleston who wrote some pieces for Harper's Magazine about the New South. Henry Grady, Grady, who was the editor of the Atlanta Constitution, wrote endlessly about the New South. The South basically had to reinvent itself. Slavery was gone, the economy was in shambles, and from 1865 onward, we've been reinventing and reinventing and reinventing. And where we are now is the, the newest of the New Souths, and I think it's the newcomer South. For a long time, when I was growing up, if you wanted opportunity in the South and you were really ambitious, you went north. You went to Baltimore, or you went to Detroit, or you went to Chicago, or you went to California. Um, now all those folks are coming here. Charlotte had half a million people in 1990, the, the county around us, and it's going to hit a million um, sometime between now and dinner. Um, and folks are just packing up and you know, loading up the truck and, and leaving Beverly and coming to Dixie. What, what, is the, what is the opportunity? What are the job opportunities that are happening around here that are drawing, drawing people in? People ask, you know, why is Charlotte growing? And one of the answers is it's a banking center. It's the second biggest banking center in the United States. A better answer is it has a very diverse economy. This was a railroad crossroads. Before that, it was an American Indian trading path crossroads. But um, it's on the uh, intersection of a couple major interstates. Uh, one of the busiest airports in the United States is here. So it's a great place to build a business. And we have Bank of America here, but we also have Lowe's Home Improvement here. The Family Dollar Chain is out of here. Um, largest steelmaker in the United States is Nucor. They're here in Charlotte. So folks are coming for those job opportunities. But then paradoxically, one of the things that's making Charlotte grow is growth. Because as people come here for jobs, they need a new house. They need their dishes washed. They need a doctor. They need a school teacher. And so folks are, are literally loading up the car in Buffalo or Bosnia and coming to Charlotte without a job because they figure they can get one here or they can make one. So in this new New South, the newcomer South as you put it, how are the newcomers being received? Having all these newcomers arrive so suddenly uh, in a region that for a long time was one of the most isolated in the United States has been really exciting but also creates a lot of tensions. Um, how do we pay for the schools for these folks who are coming? They do not send us money in advance to say build some schools. Same thing with highways, same thing with you know, anything you name. So there, there is tension in that way. There's also all of these new foods. Um, there's a Dunkin Donuts down the street now. That should be Krispy Kreme. That's our, our kind of donuts. So even little things like that, you know, much less the, the folks from Bosnia and Bolivia bringing those foods. Um, but generally, this is a, a city, as most New South cities are, that has embraced growth, has embraced newness, and welcomes newcomers as they arrive. You bring up the food part of it. Obviously, we're, we're in a restaurant right now. What, what is the blend here of this particular restaurant? El Paul Garcita was started um, in a former day-old bread store. That's where we are here. We're in a little strip shopping center with a, a bunch of dinky little places that you wouldn't look at twice. Um, except if you did look at twice, you'd realize that on this little strip there is a 
Vietnamese soup shop, a um, Mexican tienda, a Middle Eastern butcher deli place, and this place, and then around the corner is Somali and Ethiopian. Wow. Here, this was one of the first restaurants. El Pulgarcito was started by Henri Chirinos, who's still here, uh, still running it. He's here every day. And he is from Honduras originally. His wife's from El Salvador. A lot of people from El Salvador come into Charlotte. And so gambling on food from El Salvador, well, okay. But as insurance, he also has Mexican. So Honduran, Salvadoran, and Mexican food, which to outsiders may seem like the same cultural tradition, but it's not. And so what's happening, people ask, you know, is this a melting pot? I don't think so. You can't get Honduran food at the Middle Eastern place next door. But within each place, I think cultures are coming together in new kind of ways. Still on the food subject, how are we seeing these foods affect southern cuisine? It seems like southern cuisine itself is now beginning to evolve to include lots of lots of things that may not have traditionally been there. Um, right. Can you can you put a finger on on the way some of the the foods are influencing southern cuisine and how southern cuisine might be influencing some of right. these international foods? One answer to how the foods are mixing is that in some ways they're not. Um, the typical southern food you still get it at your typical southern restaurant it hasn't changed very much uh, but what I, I think has changed is the opportunities that any of us have to choose particular food uh, when I was growing up in the south there were very few restaurants of any kind uh, Charlotte a couple generations ago you went out to get southern food at a Greek run restaurant what has happened is that now most places in the South, there's a, a Mexican tienda, even a little tiny town. Um, you, we, several years ago now, um, I went uh, to Memphis in a van with uh, one of the people was a vegan. Where can vegans eat in the South? Well, it turns out they can eat at Japanese restaurants. We had no trouble driving across the Blue Ridge Mountains from Charlotte, North Carolina to Memphis, Tennessee, finding, whenever we needed it, a Japanese restaurant. Um, and that would have been unheard of 20 years ago. So much in the way that, that postmodernism allows us in literature or criticism to, to pull from many different traditions and make our own tradition, that's what's happening with food in the South. What are the things that are exciting you right now? Well, in terms of food, the thing that is exciting is this, this salad bowl. Um, it's not a melting pot. People are not giving up their traditions. They are continuing to hold on to their traditional food ways. And this little corner that we're on, which has Ethiopian and Mexican and um, Vietnamese and Honduran, um, all of those are food by the people for the people. It's, it's not a, a district where people come to go to exotic restaurants. Um, and that excites me. It excites me that, that America, this land of, of one from many, um, we're a place where there is space for people to keep their traditions even as they become part of the larger tradition. And that's problematic. It doesn't always work. 
But here in Charlotte, North Carolina, on Central Avenue, I can see that working. And it's delicious. Have a pupusa. I think that's the new southern national food. The pupusas come from El Salvador. They're a cornmeal pancake. And you can stuff them with things, including chopped pork. And they come with crutito. Now, I would say that crutito was coleslaw. Henry Chirinos would say, no, it is not. It's crutito. But um, it reminds me of barbecue. I go around the corner to the Golden Bakery, folks from Syria, and uh, they don't have pizza, which I now think of as American food, but they have all of those other kind of flatbread, pita bread, fresh from the oven kinds of things that pizza is one of in the Mediterranean. Um, these, you talk about southern traditions, these are traditions, they're in the south. I can access them, you can access them, talk about a new south. Walk me through the salad bowl concept, just so that I understand it. Because cool. I, I imagine, I, I can imagine what you mean by the salad bowl is that there are still individual. It's not like a, it's not like a soup where everything melts together. Is yeah, that, is that right? So yeah. dude, just yeah. explain the salad bowl. Yeah, that, um, you know, what's the metaphor for how we live together in America? The old metaphor was a melting pot, and this came out of probably the, the era of Pittsburgh and steel, where you put the coal and the coke and the ore and all of that stuff in this big hot cauldron and it goes white hot and out of it comes a new material steel which has none of the properties of the old material maybe a little bit um, but it, it's, it's new and it's strong and it's American and it, it's, it's none of those old things and so people still today will often say well America's a melting pot but scholars have and, and ordinary folks have said no wait a minute you know we keep parts of our ethnicity, our religion, our food preferences, um, how we um, you know, interact as a family. Um, and we don't immediately give those all up. In fact, there are parts of them that, are, that stay with us forever. Um, and in, there's a term called salad bowl. It's not a melty pot, it's a salad bowl. Imagine a salad bowl, you know, there's the lettuce, there's the, the onions and the tomatoes and maybe an anchovy or two and some dressing. and you can see all of the pieces, but it's, it's a new dish. And I thought some anthropologists or sociologists came up with it. It was actually a historian, one of my people, a guy named Carl Degler, who was writing in the 50s about uh, America, um, even at that point when the melting pot was, was the goal. He said, now wait a minute, that's not what it is. So um, this, this notion that, that we don't give up all of our culture that we don't melt, that we don't become Velveeta cheese, uh, is, is real powerful. I've had people say, well, it's not really a melting pot, it's a stew pot, because the individual pieces change as they cook together. I like that. Um, I've had people say it's not a, a stew pot, it's really like a potluck. Everybody brings something to the table, but then you pick out the things that, that seem to make sense to you and your culture. You end up with new stuff on your plate that you might not have ever beaten, but what you pick out is going to be different than your neighbor picks out. I like that a lot. Where is it going? What, what kind of uh, what kind of projection could you make, or what kind of predictions do you make uh, in the next 20, 25 years? Where is the South going? Well, I'm a historian, and historians do not predict the future. They predict the past. So, um, I don't know. But... Um, these New South cities in the, the southern interior along the railroads and the interstates, I think they'll continue to grow. 
um, simply because of the momentum that they have, but also because of air conditioning and you know, the, the rust belt problems of, of older parts of the industrial United States. Um, people are going to keep coming to the South. Um, and folks will continue to come from around the world. Um, even if we somehow manage to shut the gates right now, there are so many different people now in the South from so many corners of the globe that working out what these new traditions are, how they're going to bump up against each other, and we're going to still be doing that 20 years from now. It's not all going to be worked out, um, and I think it's going to be tasty. I'd like to thank Tom Hanchett from the Levine Museum of the New South. Find the latest at museumofthenewsouth.org. The song in this episode is called Matador, and it's a cover performed by the Charlotte-based band Ultima Nota. What's great is that this band exemplifies exactly what we were talking about today. There are five members, two are from Venezuela, one is from Mexico, one is from Cuba, and one is from El Salvador. You can find more on them at carletontalents.com. For more episodes of the show and to see videos and photography featuring our guests, click on over to AuthenticSouth.com. You can also hear us at WFAE.org on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Public Radio Exchange. Until we go south again, thanks for listening.